Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which this work was developed and is presented. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to the Community Library, a podcast, book club and discussion space. I'm your host, Angauri Rice. Welcome everyone to the end of another month, or the beginning of a new month when you're listening to this. What a bizarre uh, three months it has been. We are now a quarter of the way through the year, which is very weird to think about. Um, I feel like so much has happened in 2021 already um and we're also you know still recovering from what happened this time a year ago right uh, it was very weird celebrating celebrating commemorating <laughs> the anniversary of um when melbourne went into lockdown essentially a uh, very strange time to reflect on how much has changed in a year um and how much Melbourne especially has actually rebuilt itself after a whole year of um, a lot of hardship and troubles and being locked down. The end of the month for me is always a time of reflection whether I want to reflect or not and the end of um, the first three months of the year, the first quarter, is very much a time for reflection. I think the start of this year, oh, has 2021 gotten off to a good start? I'm not sure. It's Life always comes with its ups and downs. Um, I think we're very lucky here in Melbourne that we're finding a COVID normal. Uh, with autumn, we've got the Melbourne Comedy Festival, um, school holidays, people are going to see comedy, going to the cinemas. Um, it's just, it's actually really nice and I feel so lucky that... Uh, Melbourne has found a way to function safely um, but still support and celebrate um, all the amazing kind of artists and creative industries um, and you know hospitality industries as well that had to shut down during COVID. I've been thinking a lot about of course you know what happened this time last year and I started reading an essay collection by Zadie Smith called Intimations. Uh, It was written during the early stages of lockdown in 2020 and she reflects on, um, yeah, just how she was feeling at the time. It's interesting reading it now, a whole year later, remembering how I felt at the time, how I feel about it now, and also reflecting on the parts of lockdown that I do remember and the parts that I've forgotten. Like, there are certain... um, I guess, themes or ideas that she brings up in her essays where I remember feeling that so vividly in lockdown and there are other things that she brings up. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot. I forgot that that's how I felt. I forgot that that's how I coped and struggled and um, understood certain things, I guess. So it's very interesting reading that. Uh, But to get to the point of this episode, I'm going to stop rambling now. To get to the point of this episode, uh, I want to take you through my quarterly reading stats. Uh, See how I went with my reading, um, reflect on some books that I really liked. So I'm going to take you through all my stats uh, if you find that interesting. (laughs) 
I always love stats, so if you find that interesting, then stick around. Uh, but if you just want to get to my, I guess, three um, books that I want to highlight that I really loved this first quarter, then you can skip to 10 minutes and 37 seconds. Okay, so to get into the stats, first of all, how many books did I read? Well, I read 29. I don't really attach any... Um, worth or value to the number of books I read like however high or however low it is I, I don't really care I just like all the numbers and seeing trends and patterns so <laughs> there you go that's a number for you um I read nine books in January nine books in February and 11 in March and even though I read a lot of books in March um a lot of them were graphic novels and I ended up ending March with a reading slump. <laughs> the last like two and a half weeks of March I read basically nothing. Unfortunately I was put into a reading slump um, by a book that I just really didn't like and it was really sad. <laughs> so uh, I won't be talking about that book here. Of the 29 books I read 25 fiction books and four non-fiction books and most of those non-fiction books were graphic novel memoirs. I don't know how I feel about this. I know that I read a lot more fiction than I do non-fiction um, but actually I am starting off April with a few non-fiction reads which I will get into later when I tell you about my future plans. In terms of format this is very interesting. Uh, physical books 21, audiobooks 5, ebooks 3 and when you look at the distribution of this versus March of 2020 it's very different because in 2020 I obviously had to turn to digital um, because I couldn't get physical books from my library uh, the physical books that I had access to were ones that I already owned uh, and a lot of them I had already read so now you can see that with access to the library again I am reading way more physical books uh, I just I think I just enjoy it more especially with graphic novels I really wanted to um, read the graphic novel physically when we look at source as well so where I got my books from I got 20 books from the library in the first quarter five I already owned and were on my TBR three were gifted and I borrowed one. Majority of the books <laughs> came from the library. When we look at genre, I found this weirdly very interesting. Uh, my most read genre in January, February, March was contemporary with 10 books. I'm not sure what this says. I guess, no, actually, I think that around summertime, so January and February are obviously summer in Australia, and I think around summertime I gravitate more towards fun, contemporary YA or romance or just, you know, contemporary literary fiction. So a lot of the books that I read while on holiday at the start of January were contemporary. My next highest genre was classics with four, and then memoir, mystery, and fantasy all in equal third place with three. When we look at age range, 20 of the books that I read were for adults and nine were YA. So that's about, yeah, two thirds adult and one third YA. I think this is representative of the way that my, um, of the direction that my reading is moving in. Uh, we saw this trend happen when I looked at my yearly stats um, at the end of 2020 and compared them with 2019 and saw that I'm reading a lot more adult fiction now. It's not that I don't like YA anymore or that I don't relate to it anymore. I think I'm very much in the middle because I still feel like I'm 16, 17. But I think adult books are 
uh, I guess, catching my eye a bit more. This is an interesting uh, stat for you. (laughs) If you like stats, (laughs) which I do, when we look at the authors I read from in the first quarter, eight of them I had read from before. And I find this stat very interesting because in 2020, only 16 authors that I read in 2020 I had read from before. So already we're a quarter of the way through the year and I've already read half that number, if that makes sense. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that um, I think I am homing in on my reading tastes and what books I like and what authors I like. And so I'm finding my niche, I'm finding my favorite authors and picking up their books more. So next, let's look at Nation of Origin. Again, when we look at this graph, we have a pretty even um, pie chart in two thirds. A third from the US, a third from the UK, and then a third from other countries. And in that other third, that's a combination of other countries that are not the US and the UK, uh, there are two Australian books, two Canadian books, and one book each from France, Hungary, Egypt, Austria, and Iran. This statistic is one that I try to, I guess, improve on and one that I keep an eye on. Ideally, I would love to have half the books I read uh, not from the US or the UK, (laughs) Um, but, you know, I'm trying. (laughs) Uh, I am actually behind on my goal of reading one Australian book a month. Um, As I mentioned before, I've only read two this year, so I'm one behind, and Look, I was actually really on top of it. I was set up to read one Australian book every month. I had the books, like I had actually bought them. But both the Aussie book that I tried to read in January and then in February, both of them I DNF'd. Uh, One of them I didn't like the writing style. I knew that like from about 20 pages in that it wasn't for me. And I made it to page 100, but after that I was like, I can't do this. And then with the other one, I didn't realize that it would talk about a specific topic that was quite, I guess, that I was sensitive to and um, I wasn't in the right headspace to read about it. So I had to stop, but I am planning on picking that up again. Um, So that's why I'm behind on my goal, Uh, but I am hoping to catch up this month, next month. I don't know, (laughs) we'll see. When we look at books in translation, six of the 29 that I read in the first quarter were translated. Again, this is a statistic I'd like to improve on a little bit, but um, I guess I'm just keeping my eye on it. So now let's talk about some of my reading highlights from the first quarter. When I was choosing three that I wanted to talk about, I realized by pure coincidence that I read each of them in a different month. So I guess you can, I guess it's my January favorite, my February favorite, and then my March favorite. So let's start with my January favorite. It was In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado, published in 2019. This is a memoir of Carmen Maria Machado's uh, experience in an abusive relationship with a woman. It's such an emotional um, and raw book, uh, and the writing is really vivid and visceral um and I it was so intense for me that I actually almost didn't finish it um I almost thought oh this is going to be too much but I I am really glad I finished it because I think it's one of the most powerful books I've read this year I really struggle with memoirs a lot of the time it 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 takes a lot for me to a even pick up a memoir and b uh even like it (laughs) so I cannot overstate how amazing this book is that like This is not a genre that I usually love, but it made it into like my 
favorite books of January and the first quarter of the year. Carmen Maria Machado's writing style for this memoir is unconventional, I guess. Um, this memoir is written in short vignettes. So you have very short chapters, each of which frames Machado's relationship with this woman as a different convention or form of media. So for example, um, the chapters are called Dreamhouse as Film Noir, Dreamhouse as an Exercise in Point of View, Dreamhouse as Inciting Incident, uh, Dreamhouse as Lesbian Cult Classic. And the idea of this memoir is that it's all centered around this shifting form of the Dreamhouse um, and how this relationship is, I guess, characterized by the Dreamhouse and how the Dreamhouse can. Um, frame this relationship in so many different ways and the effect of this I mean the effect of this writing is just astounding um, because it's a blend of literary criticism and film criticism and memoir and Machado draws parallels between her experience and the representation of queer women in film and literature and music and art it was just, it was just astonishing. The writing is haunting and immersive, um, just like the gothic style that she references and deconstructs. And so she creates in itself, I guess, a, a new narrative, nonfiction, memoir, gothic hybrid thing, and it's amazing. If there is one memoir I would tell you to read, it's In the Dream House. February, I read a lot of books that I really liked, but when choosing one to talk about, I decided to go with The Last True Poets of the Sea by Julia Drake, published in 2019. This is a YA novel based on Shakespeare's uh, quote-unquote comedy Twelfth Night. <laughs> I, I put comedy in quotations because it's, it is technically classified as a comedy, um, but when I studied it in literature, I like wrote essays about how it's not really that funny. It's actually pretty awful <laughs> and bizarre. Anyway, so it's based on Twelfth Night. Um, and the the premise of the book is we have Violet, whose family has just gone through um, a, an emotional crisis and she is sent to live with her uncle in the town where her mom grew up called Lyric. And she moves there. She starts working at an aquarium. She makes friends with the guy that she works with and he introduces her to his friends. And um, meanwhile, one of his friends is obsessed with a shipwreck um, that led to the founding of Lyric, the town. And so um, this girl who's obsessed with the shipwreck uh, and Violet, our main character, team up and decide to, I guess, discover more about the shipwreck and the founding of the town. Uh, here's what I have to say about it. Shakespeare. Queer love story. Shipwrecks. Vibes. <laughs> when I tell you that the vibes of this book are just so gorgeous, oh my god, I just, I just could not, I just can't, I just can't even explain it. The other thing that I love about this book is that it's queer, and I think this is also the genius of it being a Twelfth Night retelling. Um, Twelfth Night is often at the center of discourse about 
queering Shakespeare's works or um, applying queer theory to Shakespeare's plays uh, because the main story concerns a man, Duke Orsino, who falls in love with Viola, a woman dressed as a man, um, known to Orsino for 90% of the play as his handsome page boy Cesario. (laughs) So, but no homo, of course, because Cesario was actually Viola all along and uh, Orsino marries her once she unveils her true identity and all is well and definitely not queer. So that's the original play and it's often analysed for its queerness um, and I guess deconstructed and talked about and all of that. They still end up in heteronormative relationships. So what I loved about the queer relationship in The Last True Poets of the Sea was that Julia Drake made it actual canon in a way that Shakespeare um, didn't or maybe couldn't have. Last True Poets takes so many elements from Twelfth Night, but it doesn't copy it. Um, it kind of takes it down a different route. It I guess, answers a different question. But of course, the other thing I love about this book, you know, as well as it deviating from Twelfth Night, is that Julia Drake, I mean, you can tell she's a Shakespeare nerd. She put in so many, um, like, Twelfth Night Easter eggs, uh, (laughs) which I just, I loved because I studied it in school. So I recognized all the little things and I really loved it. Another thing that I really enjoyed about Last True Poets of the Sea was... Julia Drake's writing style. Uh, It's a debut novel and I was really pleasantly surprised with the writing style um, because it varied quite a lot throughout the story. Sometimes it was really grounded in Violet's first-person perspective um, and at other times it ventured into a more experimental narrative voice, which I really enjoyed. It didn't feel out of place when it happened. Um, I think rather the varied framing of certain events really enriched the story. I also really liked how, you know, this is marketed as a YA contemporary, but it reads for a much older audience, kind of in the, I would say like 16 to 21 age range, uh, which of course I really enjoyed because I'm 20 and as I said, I'm moving into more adult fiction. So I really liked that this was about people around my age, um, but didn't shy away from the heavier topics. So she talks about drugs and drinking, mental illness. And I I really think the author treated these themes with care and sensitivity. The characters were allowed to struggle, um, but also find joy at the end, uh, while also acknowledging that not everything can be fixed overnight. My last point about the book, which I mentioned briefly in my introduction, is the vibes. The vibes. The Shakespeare seaside shipwreck vibes <laughs> were to die for. <laughs> I mean, like most kids, I went through a Titanic phase, um, which became like a full-blown shipwreck obsession when I was about eight. Uh, and that, of course, was like exacerbated by Pirates of the Caribbean, which I loved. So this book just like brought it all flooding back get it flood like water anyway I cannot wait to see what Julia Drake writes next I will definitely read it and probably love it okay let's move on to March again I read a lot of very different things in March um mostly graphic novels for my graphic novel episodes uh if you are interested in checking them out I'll have them 
linked for you so you can listen. Uh, but my favourite book of the month was a very unexpected one, and it was not a graphic novel. It was This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone. This is a sci-fi novella, which, if, <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know that I am very inexperienced in the world of sci-fi. I don't usually pick it up. The most sci-fi I've gone, I think like one of the only sci-fi books I read last year was Illuminae by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. Um, it's not something I gravitate towards at all, but I was intrigued by this. It's kind of a Romeo and Juliet-esque love story <laughs> between two time agents on the two like opposing sides of a time war. So they're time travelers um, and they're working against each other, um, but then they start writing love letters. Well, they start out just as letters and then they turn into love letters and they fall in love through time and space. Uh, and it's amazing. <laughs> Our two main characters, these are Time Lords. No, no, Time Lord is like Doctor Who, right? Anyway, never mind. So our two like secret agents basically are called Red and Blue and they start writing letters to each other. And I love letter writing. I think it's such a beautiful form of art. Um, but what I loved about this book is that it explores the art of letter writing and the craft behind it and, and the romance of it. But these letters are not those of paper and ink, like in our world. Red and Blue's letters are hidden in seeds, bee stings, tree rings, see how I'm rhyming everything, uh, exploding stars, chemical reactions, decimal points. Like, like it took me a while to, I guess, understand the form. I was like, wait, but I don't understand. Like, how can you like just eat a seed and then like read a letter? Like what? <laughs> but I just like two chapters in, I just had to go with it. I just had to be like, yep cool I don't understand but like this is the world um and once I had gotten through that barrier of like huh this doesn't make sense the it didn't matter and I didn't even want it to be explained I'm pretty sure this book is not for everyone the writing style is very indulgent lyrical often very confusing but its immersive quality really reminded me of Virginia Woolf um and I love Virginia Woolf so uh so yeah, I actually really gelled with the writing style. As I said, not a huge fan of sci-fi. Uh, and I think what I loved about this was that it wasn't super focused on the world building. As I said, you were just kind of thrown into it um, with no explanation of how a letter can be written inside a plant seed or a leaf or an insect. You just had to accept it. I kind of loved that. So my least favorite parts of the book actually were the paragraphs dedicated to world building and, and dedicated to explaining the time travel. <laughs> because we all, we all know time travel just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. And I get even more confused when they try to explain it, whether that's in a book or a movie. Uh, I much prefer the tactic of like just accepting it <laughs> and just being like, mm hmm, okay, cool, rather than explaining, you know, how it all works. So the 
the points of the book where they tried to, I guess, explain the the lore and logistics of a time war didn't really connect with me because I, I didn't need that to connect with the story. I didn't need it to understand the characters. But despite this book being in the sci-fi spy thriller genre, <laughs> the aesthetic was much more dark academia than Space Cowboy, uh, which I loved. Yeah, just really surprising, a really surprising favorite. I think uh, everyone who reads this book has an opinion on the twist at the end. Uh, I'm not going to mention that here because it's a spoiler, I guess. Uh, but if you have read the book and you're interested in knowing my thoughts, then I have written a review on the story graph and you can just click on the little spoiler section and read it there. So that's everything. That's, uh, that's my stats. That's my three favorite books of the first quarter of the year. What's coming up for the next quarter? Of course, we have the April book club pick, which I am very pleased to reveal is the nonfiction book Disfigured on Fairy Tales, Disability and Making Space by Amanda LeDuc. Do I need to explain what this book is about? I feel like the subtitle says it all. Basically, it's a nonfiction book uh, that talks about the representation of disability in fairy tales and how they interconnect. Uh, I read a chapter for this when researching for uh, my episode on The Little Mermaid um, and I really loved it and I am making it the book club pick so we can all read the whole thing together. Uh, so I would love for you to read along with me. The discussion episode for that will come out Sunday the 25th of April. So mark your calendars, uh, grab yourself a copy, give it a read if you want. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to chat about it with you. I'm also planning on reading in April a Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. So that's another non-fiction book that's on the cards for me. Um, and of course, with Intimations by Zadie Smith, I've got quite a few non-fiction reads on the go. So I don't know, maybe it will be non-fiction April, <laughs> which doesn't roll off the tongue, but there you go. Apart from that, uh, look, I don't think I have much else to say, uh, except for thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, you can leave us a review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Angowry Rice or at the underscore community underscore library. Uh, I also have a blog, angowrieslibrary.wordpress.com. There you can find transcriptions of the episodes, more links and resources if you're interested. And I think that's it. So... Until next week, I hope you find some time to take care of yourself. Bye.